listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Wednesday, the 15th of September 2021. Later, $41 billion worth of dividends will be paid out over the next couple of months. Where is all that money going? But first to the OECD, which is calling for tax reform in Australia and a review of the Reserve Bank. It all forms part of its latest OECD Economic Survey of Australia. And for more, I spoke with its head of Australia and US desk, Ben Westmore. On past experience, Australia's economy bounces back quite strongly following an easing of restrictions. But is there a threat that this bounce back won't be as strong this time around? I think we need to be careful to calibrate what we expect for this bounce back or this recovery on those earlier episodes because Australia will be operating in a very different environments. It, it looks like now with the sort of public health response adapting to be a more kind of containment approach to the virus as opposed to a aggressive suppression approach, that the economy will be operating with some community transmission of COVID-19 once there is a reopening. And we're not really sure how consumers are going to react in that sort of environment. Against that, there's also going to be higher vaccination rates. And so maybe that's something that will give consumers more confidence. And if we think that it also leads to the opening of international borders, then that could also provide a tailwind to the economy. What kind of financial legacies do you think the pandemic will leave Australia with and how serious will they be? You think about the private sector, it looks like the financial legacies are not going to be too severe just based on what we see to date. I mean, there can be impacts from from the current lockdowns that, that are still unclear and there can also be structural changes as a result of the pandemic that are still unclear. But if you look at things like business insolvencies, they're at very low levels compared to pre-pandemic rates. Uh, Also, when you look at the financial sector, we know the financial sector played a very strong role in cushioning the impact of the pandemic at the outset by offering things like loan deferrals to both households and businesses. It seems that up until the third quarter anyway, most of those loan deferrals were rolling off in a relatively orderly pace and it didn't seem to have a big impact on the balance sheets of banks with regards to non-performing loans and, and, and um, impaired assets. So that's the, the private sector. When we look at the public sector, it's true that public debt has risen substantially. Uh, we do, you know, compared to other OECD countries, we see Australia as still having a relatively low level of public debt. But when you look at it across Australia, so at a kind of general government level, the, the ratio of public debt to GDP has is, is basically doubled. And so with that does bring increasing risks. You know, when you think about interest rate risks or you think about other shocks and the ability of the government to do more uh, in, in terms of having fiscal space, so there are some legacies in, in, in that sort of area that, that I think that we need to be aware of. The survey focuses on what should happen once the economy reopens. And one of the key things you're suggesting is um, tax reform. How and why? If this has been a long-term OECD recommendation around tax reform, around shifting the tax mix away from some of the forms of direct taxation, especially personal income taxes, to more indirect forms like consumption taxes like the GST uh, or also a recur- recurring land tax. Uh, obviously, some of these are at the federal level and some are at the state level. But the idea basically is that, uh, you know, in terms of, economic efficiency in terms of the level of distortion that different types of taxes create, that some of these indirect forms are less distortionary than, than, than some of the direct forms. So they impact upon behaviours less. I think that's, so there's a kind of a growth imperative to the argument, but it's also broader than that. It's also about considering fiscal sustainability. 
And in the context of an ageing population where we know that the share of the working age population is likely to decline over the coming 10 to 15 to 20 years, then when you have a tax system that's becoming more and more reliant on personal, personal income taxation, that that becomes less and less sustainable. What about when it comes to monetary policy? What kind of reform would you like to see with the RBA and the role it plays? I think what we call for with the RBA is not any great significant reform. I think in general, you know, when we think about Australia's macroeconomic institutions, one thing that we've learned through the pandemic is that they stood up pretty well. Um, and so I don't think that we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and change things radically. But when we think about the RBA, uh, I think that you know, we consider it to be a good time now for your RBA to do a monetary policy framework review. And uh, that's partly because of the fact that you know, inflation has been very low, been below the RBA target band for a number of years now, but also the fact that the RBA has started to employ new types of policy tools and new sorts of practices, new forms of communication. And so we think it's a good time to take stock, to do a broad, transparent review with consultation with a range of stakeholders to kind of try and understand you know, what the framework looks like now, whether it's fit for purpose in a post-pandemic world, and what might need to change or what areas the RBA would like to change. And I, and I should say that this is a common type of review done in a number of other OECD countries. Now, I also asked Ben how to address unemployment, particularly of those low-paid workers and youth hit hard during the pandemic, and how to foster entrepreneurship, given that small businesses are the driving force of the economy. The policy prescription is a little bit, different for each of those groups. If you think about those kind of young and lower wage workers, we know were pretty hard hit at the start of the pandemic and, and they're likely to be hit hardest in this, in this kind of third quarter impact as well. Then, you know, to the extent that they're still unemployed, it's important to really ensure that there are good, what we call activation policies, which basically means, you know, good employment services that can help them access new training opportunities, can help them access new job opportunities, and can ensure that they're being matched with the best employer in the sense that, you know, their skills are, are best matched to that particular job. And so that's that's important both for the wages of, of that unemployed worker, but also in, in terms of the productivity of the, of the entire economy. And so I think that in the report we highlight that there is room for continuing to emphasise training opportunities and investing in training for unemployed people in Australia when you compare it to other OECD countries. And so that is definitely something that we would advocate for um, or encourage the government to look at. On your second question with regard to entrepreneurialism and, you know, the, the, the sort of startup culture and the growth of young, innovative, dynamic firms, our prescription would be a little bit different or our recommendation would be a little bit different. Uh, we have seen that these sorts of firms are very important for job creation and very important for investment intensity in the Australian economy in the kind of pre-pandemic period. But one thing that concerns us is that at least with regard to these sorts of firms that employ people, their share has been declining over time. And so one of the things we point to in the report is the administrative and regulatory system seems to be relatively restrictive in some dimensions compared to other OECD countries. We highlight areas such as occupational licensing as being ripe for reform and also land use regulations as, as being important to look at when, in, in, to ensure that these sort of businesses and people that have a good, bright idea can enter markets and then if they succeed can quickly scale up their businesses without, without being disproportionately or inordinately impacted by 
by these sorts of regulatory burdens. How does Australia rate when it comes to climate change policy and how far behind the rest of the world is Australia? Well, when we think about climate change performance, uh, I think that we would say that Australia has done reasonably well with when you look at aggregate emissions, it's declined over the past 15 or 20 years compared to other OECD countries. Um, when you look at the kind of specifics and the sectoral basis of those declines, it does seem to be quite narrowly based, especially in the land use sector um, and also to some extent the electricity sector, which is which is a very positive thing. If we think about climate change policy, I mean, we, we would agree that uh, fostering technological solutions is very important. And, you know, when we look at some of the institutions in Australia um, to try and you know fund and, and foster these these technological solutions, we'd say that they're OECD best practice. So in, in that that sense, it's it's very strong. We also, though, are economists and we do believe in market-based mechanisms. And so pricing of emissions, in our view, remains important. It's not the only answer to, to uh, reducing emissions, but it is part of the solution. And we would say in that area, in that area that Australia still has relatively low carbon pricing of emissions compared to most OECD countries. And so there is room for room for improvement in that domain. Finally, just curious, to what extent was the former finance minister, Matthias Cormann, involved in the uh, survey or the report? I'd prefer not to, not to answer that one, but <laughs> he was, uh, you know, he has, is at the helm now. So, yeah, he, uh, he, I mean, he oversees, he oversees all the reports. Ben Westmore there, the head of Australia and US desk at the OECD. Of course, uh, the former finance minister of Australia, uh, Matthias Cormann, took on the role as secretary general, so pretty much the head of the OECD uh, earlier this year. Okay, to the Australian share market now, which did fall, the S&P ASX 200, 7,417. That's a decline of 0.3%. For more, I spoke earlier with Adam Dawes from Shore & Partners. Adam, the market's done today. Why? Yeah, look, there's a couple of things. We certainly came out of the blocks uh, a lot lower and then we, we tried to get back up, but I think it had a lot to do with China's data that came out about around about 12 o'clock today. Uh, new home price growth continued to slow in China as they're taking measures to curb those uh, buyer demands, but also retail sales, which is a key gauge of China's consumption. That grew only 2.5% compared to 8.5% last month. So China's economy actively cooled over that time, really due to the coronavirus outbreaks, stringent measures on demand and factory production. So it wasn't a great day for the market today. The RBA governor tried to reassure the market yesterday that rates won't rise until 2024, but does the market still believe him? Yes and no. I think uh, uh, Lowe's, well, uh, his response was appropriate to, to what what's happening in the economy at the moment. He basically emphasised that the cash rate would not rise until inflation hits that 2 to 3% mark, and I think that's where we've always seen that inflation rate to look. So no hikes before 2024. I think the market definitely took it in its stride. And I think that's really positive for markets. Rising interest rates aren't great for global markets. So I think that's uh, put a little bit of confidence back into the Australian market today. Comsec says $41 billion will be paid in dividends over the coming weeks. What's likely to happen to all that money? Well, they should go and spend it, shouldn't they? <laughs> no, but basically shareholders are looking to receive all of those dividends. 
basically, you, you've got a couple of things. You've got superannuation funds that are going to get a lot of those dividends. So that short-term sugar hit won't happen. That's going to go through into superannuation. The second thing is a lot of domestic funds will get that uh, and they will reinvest that back into the market. And I think that's the right way to do it. But a lot of those dividends do go offshore. As well, so you know the Australian economy does miss out on a lot of those dividends as well. But I think most people will either be reinvesting in that, or potentially looking at some other bigger ticket items that they haven't been able to purchase. You know, something like a car or something like that. But the astute investor should be re putting that back into the market to grow their portfolio further. Lithium is making some waves today in our market. Why, and what's your take? Well, it really goes into the battery technology or battery and metals. So that's the kind of thing that you need to do. But lithium has done very, very well. There was a company today, Pilbara Minerals, which went and sold 5% of its concentrate for a price of $2,240. Now, that's about 80% higher than where a lot of analysts have said that they would be able to get or sell their lithium. Now, what's happened is you're going to see these begrudging upgrades because of that price that was actually taken in the market. So that's then lifted all of the lithium stocks going forward. So yeah, it's just a, it's a really good story. As commodity prices move higher, share prices will follow. And that's exactly what's happening at the moment. Adam Dawes there from Shore & Partners. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.